up for you. We'll be in Mark 4. Thanks, Cody, for punching us in the face. That was awesome. Thanks. Let's thank our musicians. That was uh, awesome. Very, very grateful for them. Mark 4. Mark 4. Uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, early in the last three Sundays, I've made major announcements at the end of the service. I have nothing for you tonight, so... I'm sorry, I'm all out. Uh, there will be some announcements, but nothing, uh, nothing like the last couple of weeks. God's got some uh, some stuff going on with us, and uh, I hope that I uh, hope you're along for the ride. I think God is writing a story that um, is going to be a very important one, uh, hopefully for you, and maybe even in our city. So. Um, as we go through Mark 4, uh, we get to a place where I'm going to combine uh, these two parables into one, into one kind of sermon, because they're saying similar enough things. And, uh, you know, Jesus brings to us uh, a lot of the things that we didn't, really, didn't realize as humans. One of them is, we were just singing it, that God, like He's for us, you know. And there's no better indication of the fact that he's like, like on our side, like wants the, the best for us than the fact that he came to us. And so the God with us, God for us thing, it's really one, one big thought that just kind of has two different angles. Uh, the proof that he's for us is the fact that he came to us and is with us and is with us right now. And as we are going through the gospel of Mark, we're looking at all these things that Jesus was saying and doing and and there are these patterns that emerge, and there's this, it's like he's just constantly trying to convey these like really deep, big things. And one of them is the kingdom of God. And it's very easy, when you hear the kingdom of God, it's easy to think uh, about heaven. You know, The kingdom of God is some sort of future thing. It's just a code word for heaven. But Jesus goes around, and he says, he's like, no, the kingdom of God is at hand. Like The kingdom of God is near to you. And he wasn't saying the end of the world is near. He was saying, no, that, like, I have come to you and I am, I am the kingdom. And I bring the kingdom to you. I'm inviting you into my life. I'm inviting you into this new kind of kingdom. And the disciples were, uh, they didn't really get that all the time. And we don't probably get that all the time either. And so here's this place where Jesus gives us these two parables to help us understand a little bit more about what the kingdom is. So let me... Let me try to define the kingdom of God first, you know, before we get too far into it. And really, the, like the go-to idea in terms of the kingdom of God, you can jump to the Lord's Prayer when He says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. That's a summation of what the kingdom of God is about. That, uh, that heaven and earth uh, would, be, would both be places where His will is happening. Like whatever he wants, that's the way that it is. And everything is, is falling into line behind his desires as the holy, sovereign, perfect creator and sustainer of the universe. And so the kingdom of God is wherever, wherever that is happening, wherever 
what he wants is happening. That's where the kingdom is. And so Jesus comes and he's bringing the kingdom of God. And he's healing people because that's what God wants. And he's teaching people truth because that's what God wants. And he's casting demons out because that's what God wants. And he's inviting people to come and to be a part of his life. And it comes into conflict with, with what we can maybe think of in terms of like my kingdom. So my kingdom is where anything that I want, uh, if I want it to happen, it happens. That's where it happens in my kingdom. Whatever I want to happen, that's why I'm the king of my own kingdom. And Dallas Willard really helps. He, he's very helpful in, in, in helping us understand that what Jesus is saying is like, hey, I understand that you are a king and you have a kingdom where your will is done. Um, I'm going to invite you into my kingdom where, where what I want is done. And so if you, you want your kingdom to be a part of my kingdom, then you say, well, it's not about what I want, it's about what you want. And so you bring your will underneath my will, and then you're living in my kingdom. And everywhere he goes, he's inviting people, saying, hey, you don't have to live in your own kingdom. Your kingdom's a wreck, in case you didn't know. Uh, my kingdom is, is perfect and filled with hope and love and goodness. And so he's constantly inviting people to bring their, to, to let go of their kingdoms, uh, the, let go of your insistence upon your own way, bring that into his kingdom and where uh, his will is done, just like in heaven. And so the kingdom of me really becomes uh, submitted to the kingdom of God. And so, wherever God wants it done, it's where it's done. And, and, and that's kind of what Jesus is trying to help them understand. Now, that sounds like, you know, it sounds like it makes sense, you know. But it didn't make sense to his audience because whenever Jesus said kingdom of God, that's not what they thought of. They didn't think on earth as it is in heaven. They didn't think, let me bring my will under submission to God's will. And so that whatever he wants can, can happen. And, and they didn't think of joining this other kind of kingdom. They thought what a lot of us think of in terms of kingdom, which has a lot to do with nations and military powers and political forces and that kind of stuff. So they were thinking that the Messiah was going to come and, uh, and bring Israel back to power. You know, it was like, you know, Make Israel great again, or whatever, however you want to think of it. And so that was the, the idea, is that uh, at one time, David, you know, when David, there was King David, and everyone knew who we were, and they were all afraid of us, and everything was big and powerful and whatever. And, um, and the idea was that the Messiah was, you know, they had kind of lost some of that, and so the Messiah was going to come in, and next thing you know, he brings them into this, this better, brighter future, full of military power and political power and money and authority and that all the surrounding nations would once again be like terrified of them, and that God's enemies, who also happen to be Israel's enemies, would be judged and uh, squashed, basically. So they were hoping this Messiah would come, and so Jesus comes in, and he's talking about the kingdom, and they're like, hey, this is the guy, this is the guy, this is the guy. And they wanted this big military political force, and Jesus comes in and says, no, it's really not that, and... So a lot of what he went around was he was trying to say, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's, you think it's like this, but really it's like this. And so in, this, in these parables, he's helping, he's like, let me kind of meet you where you are. Let me use this agricultural metaphor to help you kind of understand some things. So he's already done that a little bit with the parable of the sower we went through a couple weeks ago. And now he goes into two more that I think are very helpful to us understanding the kingdom of God, but also uh, understanding what it means for us you know, in 2017, like, how do I bring, like, me bringing my little kingdom under submission to his kingdom, 
where it's uh, like, thy will be done, uh, not my will be done. Like, how do I do that? What is the significance of that? And what does that really look like? And how, how is this helpful to me? So first I want to talk about why, it would, why these parables are significant to them and then significant to us. All right, enough of that. Let me, let's read it. Starting in verse 26. It said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Right? Super clear, right? Everyone knows exactly what he means. He keeps going, verse 30, he says, uh, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So he's trying to explain the kingdom to them and he uses... He's trying to speak in terms that they can understand. He's trying to set the, set the record straight about the kingdom of God. So let me, let me bring out four, four qualities, I think, that are in both of these parables that would help it be significant to them and will also help transfer into our lives. Um, the first one, look at verse 27. The first one is that the kingdom of God is mysterious. Okay, look at verse 27. He's talking about the... Basically, a farmer has scattered seeds on the ground. Verse 27 says, He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. See, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a farmer who it's time to plant the seeds, and he plants the seeds, and he just goes to bed that night. And he gets up the next day, and he does his, goes about his day, and then he goes to bed that night and gets up the next day. He doesn't know how he doesn't know how it happens. He knows that it happens, but he doesn't know how it happens. The kingdom of God is like that. It is this mysterious thing that God is doing. The farmer is being faithful. The farmer knows what to do. Um, he knows that it works, but doesn't know how it works. And he is just doing his thing, trusting this mysterious uh, process that's happening. You think about it back then, think about how, how clueless they were about a lot of things from a scientific standpoint compared to us now. They just trusted that, no, this is, this is how it works. One generation taught the next generation, this is how, this is how you do this. And even now in our day, we, like, of course, from a scientific standpoint, we understand a lot more about what's going on um, and like why... Like, why certain things happen to an extent, you know. Scientists can explain what's going on, but they don't always know at the very, very bottom of it why it's going on. There's still, even in our day, with as, as great as science is to us, there's still mystery behind things. He says the kingdom of God is like, is, is like this mysterious process, and no matter how much 
you study and learn, and, and no matter how much we develop our knowledge of things, there's going to be a blind spot in there. That's what the kingdom of God is like. It is mysterious. It's not totally explainable. It's different than you thought. So these disciples, in this, like this, at this time in Israel, they were expecting it to be something that it wasn't going to be. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, hey, let's just make sure that you're expecting mystery. It's very important. It's mysterious. The second thing, uh, the second quality is that it is natural. Verse 28. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. There's a created order to like all this stuff. He's like, no, like this, this is what happened. Like it, it is a very natural process that unfolds. Um, in the right conditions, the seed that has been planted will flourish and will produce fruit. That's, that's just how it works. It's, it's natural. It was designed to do that. Even in difficulty, even in difficult conditions and all that kind of stuff, there is, a, there is an order to the kingdom. God says, yeah, I set all this stuff up. I created this whole deal. Sin broke everything in it. I've come to redeem every single bit of it in a way that has a, a, a natural like forward motion to it. Is it mysterious? Yeah. Is it intentionally designed to do certain things certain ways? Yeah, it's, it's not random. So part of what he's saying about these seeds that are planted in the ground, he's like, hey, this, it, it's mysterious, but mis- mystery doesn't mean like random chance. He's like, it's mysterious, but I, it's just mysterious to you. The farmer has no idea what's going on, but I, as God, definitely know what's going on. I made it to do that. When it comes to the kingdom of God, we have to, we have to understand that, that there is, there's a mysterious element to it. But, but what God is doing in this, what in his will be done kind of sense, it has, it has a naturalness to it because he is the designer of everything. It just seems random to us sometimes, but God isn't random at all. Ever, ever, ever. Um, the third thing is that the kingdom of God is subtle. There's a, there's a like it's, it's like hard to trace. Look again at verse 28. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in in the ear. If they were expecting a big, loud kingdom entrance, Jesus is like, hey, uh, these beginnings are going to be like small. There's a a subtlety to it. We're not too far away from talking about Advent. and, And when you start to put all the scriptures together and you're like, man, this... like." The, the manger, like the nativity scene with the angels and everything, it was a lot of hoopla. So yeah, it was a lot of hoopla in a very small place. It wasn't global hoopla. It was like very localized. It was a very humble and small beginning to Jesus' incarnation. And if you're expecting this, like this big, like chaotic, crazy, loud, massive approach, the kingdom of God is not like that. It's more like when you plant a you plant a seed in the dirt and you just kind of wait. And you see a little bit like pop up out of the dirt. And you're like, oh, look, there's a little bit of something. And then uh, if you sit there and lay on the ground and watch it for hours upon end, you're just not going to notice that anything's happening. You're like, this is ridiculous. 
If you go about your life, though, and you come back in a week, you're like, oh, I see a little bit of progress. That it's going to be very, very subtle changes and morphing and growing. And so your expectations about the kingdom cannot be instant, loud, uh, obnoxious, just obvious stuff. It needs to be more like uh, the subtlety where a farmer is like, yeah, yeah, we planted. And do I go out there and look at the dirt every day? Um, yeah, but that's just because I'm bored. Um, but I don't go look at it nine times a day and get frustrated that I'm not seeing results. The kingdom of God is subtle. It's mysterious. It's, but it's very natural. It's very purposed. And then verse 29. The kingdom of God is progressive. It says, But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. He says, yeah, the farmer puts, puts the seed in the dirt. He goes to bed. He gets up the next day, works around the farm, whatever. He does that. And, and it, it comes up out of the ground. It's, it's natural and it's mysterious and it's very subtle. But there comes a point when he's like, all right, get the sickles out. <laughs> the harvest, like it's time. Everything is ready. It is progressive. It's, it's working towards something. The kingdom of God is not uh, randomly spinning out of control. It's not pointless. It's not whatever. It's, it's progressive. It's headed toward an absolute destination. It's absolutely going to land in goodness. And that steady growth will happen all the way until the harvest. And so that trajectory is important to understand. So Jesus says, hey, take all your expectations about military power and political power and it being loud and, and probably violent and all this kind of stuff and make this big global impact and put all that to a side and put on your farming hat and go get some seeds and go throw them on the ground and wait months and months and months. That's really, really more what it's going to be like. Mysterious, natural, subtle, progressive. All right, now look at the, look at the next paragraph, like the next parable. And you'll see the same, the same qualities in there. Verse 30. He said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So we see... We, do we, we see mystery in there, especially of like, how can this little bitty tiny seed grow into this like big plant where like birds can come and like live? You know, how does, how does that work? How does something so small become so significant? And we know that the mustard seed is not the smallest seed on the whole earth. At the time, in this part of the world, it was the smallest one that they knew of. So he's meeting them where they are. The point is not a, to be a scientific textbook about seed size. It's really supposed to be like, hey, this is like a very small thing. How can something so small become so significant? We don't, we, we don't know. We don't know. How can a baby born in a, in a stable in Bethlehem change the world such to the point where we're here tonight singing songs to him and about him? I, it's, mis- it's a mystery. Is it natural? Yeah, the, the, the mustard seed, it just grows and grows and grows because God made it to do that. It's, it's natural. It happens because he made it that way to happen. There's no 
There, we can explain it and analyze it and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, God's like, I want mustard seeds to become this thing. So that's how, what they're going to do. Because in the kingdom of God, at the end of the day, his will being done is going to happen. We can fight it. We can join in with it, whatever it is. But the, like you, we know where the story is going and he wins. And so whether he's winning from a mustard seed becoming like this big plant or whether he's winning from your life becoming this great producing amazing like spectacle of transformation whatever but he's it's going to happen because it's natural it's what we're made to do it's subtle it's the same kind of thing where where it grows and grows and grows and they don't really understand it and so you can't underestimate the small beginnings of a mustard seed you can't underestimate the small beginnings of a kingdom of this random rabbi going to all these little nothing towns around this lake and uh, doing all these little things, all these little parables, these little miracles, these little interactions with people, every one of those little things were probably frustrating the mess out of people who just wanted a general. You know, they just wanted like a big authoritative, like whatever, to lead them down to like to this great big power again. And they're like, "Why is he praying with that lady? That's not helping us." And he's like, yeah, this is what a mustard seed looks like. Where, where is Jesus? Where is he? It's like, oh, he's off praying by himself. Why is he doing that? We got battle plans to make. I'm like, no, nope, this is what a mustard seed looks like. Over and over and over. And is it progressive? Verse 32, when it talks about large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Saying, hey, you plant a mustard seed? And at some point in the future of that plant, when the conditions are right, it is providing shade and, and rest and comfort for birds because that's what God made it to do. It's, it's imagery. It's like, yeah, that's the beginning of the mustard seed is very small. The end of the mustard seed is awesome and beautiful. And so the mustard seed is headed somewhere. The kingdom of God is headed somewhere. So, the kingdom of God is mysterious, it's natural, it is subtle, but it is absolutely progressive towards something amazing. So, what is the, so that was kind of a little bit with them. What does it have to do with us? You can probably guess everything I'm about to say. But what else is new? Taking those four ideas, the fact that the kingdom of God is mysterious for us is really difficult. Because we don't have a lot of mystery in our day. I, if, I mean, I could ask you the most random question in the world. And it's not like when I was a kid where I was like, well, the next time I'm near a set of encyclopedias, I'll go look and see if the world book has decided that that fact is worthy of making the world book encyclopedia. It's not like that anymore. Remember, you, if you're old enough to remember times when you just didn't know where people were, remember that? I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> hey, what's going on with this person? I, I don't know. I have not seen them riding my bicycle in my neighborhood. You know, like I have no idea. They haven't been at school. Why? why I, I don't know. I'm not going to call them because that's weird. There was so much mystery when I was younger. And you go back decades and decades and decades, or hundreds of years in this case, and 
We don't do well with mystery because we have so much access to information so quickly. It's like we need to learn, once again, to just be okay with the fact that we don't know something. Sometimes it's, 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 just, it's frustrating. We don't like to not know because we can just Google it. Now, not knowing the chief export of some random country is fine. Like that's not, you know, who cares about that stuff? But it's so easy to project that onto God where you feel like, like, almost like you're entitled to know things because we live in a world where we know everything. And even in the times where we know too much about something, we still kind of like the fact that we have tons of information coming our way all the time. And yet here's God who's like, guess what? I'm not going to tell you everything. I'm going to intentionally leave mystery in your life because that's how my kingdom works. Talked about it a few weeks ago in Deuteronomy 29. The hidden things belong to him. And I think there's a part of us as Western uh, Americans in, in 2017 who are a little bit, uh, it just bothers you that God keeps stuff from you. But yet, that's how it works. He, hasn't, he didn't tell the farmer how the seed works growing in the dirt. And even our best scientists can only, can only tell you why to a point. It just works. And I think God says, yep, just like the kingdom. Just like my will being done, where whatever I want to happen, happens, and it's the right thing. And you're like, that blows my mind. How can it be the right thing when there's so much weird stuff going on? And he's like, yep, it's a mystery, isn't it? Yep, you don't know everything, do you? Yep, you're finite, aren't you? Yep, my ways are higher than your ways, aren't they? All, that is something that we as followers of Jesus have to embrace and, and I, I think get to where we're grateful for. I mean, I, as much as I want to know everything, I don't, I don't want to know everything. It would not be good for me. Just like you as parents don't tell your kids everything about everything. It's not good for them. You're not being cruel to them. You're not trying to, be, to hold power over them or keep them in their place. You're like, no, it's, it's not good for you to know all these details about stuff. So I'm going to meet you on your level, so to speak. I think God looks at us and says, it's not good for you to know everything. But the second part of that verse says the things that are revealed to us belong to us and our children forever. He's like, hey, I'm going to tell you everything you need to know, and it's yours forever. You don't have to be God to know this stuff. So we have to embrace the mystery. And I think that the, a part of what is difficult is found maybe in some of, these own, some of these other points. But let me just say this. Should we seek all the understanding that is out there? I think that we should. I think, I think knowledge and understanding, all those things are absolutely good. We should, we should really seek to have a thorough understanding of things. So read, ask questions, process things, take in different perspectives. All those things are absolutely crucial and important. But at the end of the day, if you find yourself wanting to reject something just because you're insisting on knowing everything... You're going to be frustrated as a follower of God. It's going to be a frustrating thing. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says, Don't lean on your own understanding. I think it's a timely word for us because we have so much understanding to lean on. And so the mystery of the kingdom is a good thing. And perhaps it would behoove us to start saying, I don't know more 
and to thank God for the fact that we just don't know some things. The second thing I said is that it was natural. That God just, he made you to work a certain way. Your personality, your gifts, your experiences, you, you being you. A part of that design is he designed you to know him and to love him. That's it's, it's how you were built. That's why you travel all around the world in the most remote places and they are, they're worshiping something. They're giving themselves to something greater than themselves. Even if it's an, what they believe is another person. There's, there are all these forms of worship because it's what he made us to do. He made us to love each other and that's why you find love in relationships everywhere that you go. And so when I say that the kingdom of God is natural, I mean, let it run its course in your life. Like, let, like if you are the seed planted in the dirt, like let yourself grow and morph and change. Let God do his thing in you because he created your growth to be very intentional as well. And so in those seasons where you sense him drawing you into something different or challenging you or if there's conviction about something and that refinement is happening, don't, don't push against it. Like I talked about last week, embrace his activity in your life because it, it is growing you in a very natural way. It may not even feel natural to you. But in the kingdom, this mysterious kingdom, it is a natural thing. So instead of resisting his activity among us, we should be embracing it because we're trusting that in this mystery, there is purpose that's happening. Like the third point about it being subtle. That there are these subtle, like almost like untrackable things happening in our lives. And if you want to be able to measure your spiritual growth, then, then you need to really pay attention to this point. Because I think Jesus is telling us, like, hey, when I'm working... Uh, it's usually not very noticeable. Like, I've, I don't know that it's smart for a farmer to go and check on the growth of his crops eight times a day. I don't know that anyone, any sort of, like, fitness expert would tell you to weigh yourself. Like, you need to weigh yourself, like, ten times, like, once an hour, probably, every day. Go weigh yourself and track it. It doesn't, it doesn't like, slow, steady growth doesn't work that way. And that's so frustrating when you're when you really are you're like you're trying to follow the Lord, like you're trying to be who He made you to be. And you get to a point you're very sincere, and you're like, "I am so tired of my anger problems getting the best of me." And you come to that place of repentance, and you're ready to change, and you want it to be instant, and you want to just be like, "No, I'm very sincere." And so, can I just cross over into this new territory, please? And he's like, "No, it's really more like a like a." plant growing in you. It's just going to take a while. It's going to be subtle and slow. So you're probably going to lose your temper tomorrow and probably the next day too. You're not going to be able to track it. You're not going to, you know, you can't expect it to be obvious all the time. Sometimes it happens, but more of the cases, the slow, steady progression. And what you'll find is someone who you're not around all the time will tell you like, man, three months ago, that would have sent you over the rails, man. That's, that's the kingdom of God at work. You know, we live in this city that's, that has all these problems. You know, there's all these problems, and everyone wants a solution, right? We want, uh, like, 
political solutions, we want police solutions, we want federal funding solutions, we want all these kind of things that are suddenly going to make us a not violent society. And it's not going to work. The progress is going to be slow and steady. The progress is going to be the spiritual climate of cities changing. That's That's where it's going to come from. So do we need... Like, do we need the churches to be involved in the city stuff? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do we need all those other kinds of changes happening? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but, but we as the kingdom people know, like, hey, this is a heart issue. And what happens in the heart is it's more like a plant growing in the dirt. It's going to take a little while. And if God, if God unites us with Sherwood Baptist and, and we make a move over there and we're there on Sunday mornings and we're there during the week and we're doing all that stuff... Um, could, could God transform that community in the, in the city and the, and the communities where we all live? And all, Can all that happen? It can absolutely happen. Will it probably be more your kids than you seeing the difference? Yeah, probably so. And their kids probably more so. We're talking like generational change, this slow and steady thing. But it, the question is, are those kinds of changes worth it? Whether it's the climate of the city or whether it's the cli- like what's going on in your heart, what's going on in your marriage, what's going on in your family and your community group or in, in our church, are we willing to be a part of a subtle, slow, mysterious, yet natural trajectory? Or are we going to just get frustrated because sometimes God moves slower than us? I think what Jesus is trying to get his disciples to do is embrace the fact that, hey, this is just going to look different. And the timing is going to be different. But the landing point is going to be amazing. And I think, you know, here, here we are in this church that, and that's not really what this tonight is for, but let me just say it. Like, we've been on a slow, steady journey for 12 years. And you can go back further than that. Actually, in March... It'll be 20 years since we started the college ministry. Um, I was three at the time, in case you're doing the math. And so, uh, but the, the trajectory of the ring in some ways feels like it's just getting to like a more stable landing point. Like it could be that God's bringing all this stuff together. There are people who have been praying for this for 20 years. We've been searching for a third staff member for a couple years now. We've been searching for a building for many years now. And I think every person on, a, on that journey at some point was like, God, what? Are, come on, man. <laughs> Hurry up. How long, oh Lord? And the coming together of those things doesn't mean that we're done. But what I'm saying is, could it be that the mustard seeds that were planted 20 years ago or 12 years ago, or three years ago, or wherever, however you want to think about it, all these mustard seeds, could it be that it's getting to a point where the branches are there and birds are like, I think I can hang out in there. Like, can, can the goodness of that trajectory, are we getting to the point where we can look at it and say, God, I'm so thankful that you took so long. Can you pull that into your own life and in in the things are going on with you and maybe, maybe we need to get to a point where we stop looking at waiting as a bad thing or it means we're doing something wrong or something like that. And we just look at the fact that God is super patient and we are not. And we say, God, I'm thankful that there's mystery. I'm thankful that there's something very natural that's happening. 
And even though I wish it was not quite so subtle, there's a beauty in what you're doing. And I know it is headed somewhere. And that somewhere is good, good, good. That's what he's doing in your life. You may not feel it that way, but it's all headed somewhere. So don't underestimate the small beginnings of the things he's doing in your life. Don't underestimate the small prayers of faith, the small saying yes to Jesus, the stepping in the communion line and, and saying, I need your body and your blood that you're offering to me, the small times to pray and times to sing. and all, Don't underestimate the small beginnings of those things because it is a part of a progression that is headed towards something amazing. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed each day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In Galatians 6, he said, Let's not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we'll reap if we do not give up. Don't give up even though he's mysterious. Don't give up even though he's subtle. Let that natural progression work toward what he has for you in your life, in your friendships, in your marriages, in your family, in your community group, in our church, in our city, and beyond. What he's saying here to us should help us to just like Take a deep breath and slow down and remind us that, that none of this stuff is random. He's like, hey, I put all this together. You, you really just need to live by faith and not by sight. And so if singing helps you do that, then we're going to sing a little bit in a minute. If come to kneel and pray helps you do that, you're welcome to come and kneel and pray. The way that we do communion is you tear the bread, you tear the juice, you dip it in yourself. You're welcome in our line. If if, if you believe that Jesus is offering himself to you and you want to say yes to him, then come on. But your life is headed somewhere. He's with you, for you, just like we sang about. And I hope that these scriptures and these points have been encouraging to you. Let's stand together as the band comes back. Let me pray for us. God, your activity uh, in our world, I'm thankful for the times it's really obvious. And even in our church right now, you know, with, the, with what seems to be you answering a long time of us praying, you're answering all these prayers at once, and it's exciting. And I'm thankful for the times it's really tangible like that. But everyone in this room is not in a place where they can see the fact that you're with them and for them. Everyone here is, is not in a place where they're embracing your mysterious, slow, patient nature. And sometimes it's because we're facing really difficult things. And God, I ask that you would be an encouragement uh, tonight to those who are struggling with some of this stuff. And um, that, these, that your words to your disciples would... Uh, just be an assurance of your care and your plan at work. And God, whether it's individuals or 
groups of friends or couples or families or whatever it is. Just that reminder that we're headed somewhere. That you have orchestrated things. You're, you really are working all things together. Even, even the worst things that our world has to offer. That you are growing us. And you're building something beautiful. And you have said yes to us. And so we want to say yes to you. So as we sing or take communion or give at the giving station or kneel and pray, whatever it looks like for us, help us to pay attention in these moments to the things that you are wanting us to really draw near to. And may our responses build our faith and encourage each other. Most importantly, may we convey to you our love and our trust uh, that you really are moving in our midst. We love you. We thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Next serving communion tonight. Uh, you can step into the line whenever you're ready. You can come kneel and pray or sing. Let's give, let's give good, good attention and response in these closing moments uh, before we bless each other. Amen.